Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Later on on the programme uh, today, I'll be chatting with uh, Tommy Tiernan. This is in advance of Tommy Tiernan playing live at the Marquee in June. He's coming for two dates. The first date is already uh, sold out. Second date fast selling out. He's on a tour at the moment. It's the Tom Foolery uh, show everywhere Tommy Tiernan plays. He absolutely sells out, not just in this country. He sells out world worldwide as well. But I think a lot of his popularity in this country has got to do with the Tommy Tiernan, his TV show and that wonderful concept that uh, that they introduced where he doesn't know who the people are before they come out and just, I think the way his style of interviewing, it, it's just, it's been amazing and I've, I've absolutely loved the Tommy Tiernan uh, show. It's, it's off air obviously at the moment and actually the interview that I'll be running later on with Tommy, I recorded it uh, yesterday afternoon when he took time out to talk to us and it is one of the things that I ask him about uh, is about his television television show and then that led me on to asking him about would he consider hosting The Late Late Show because Tommy Tiernan has been one of the names that has been bandied about as a possible as possible the, as possibly the new presenter of The Late Late Show and actually there was a Twitter poll uh, carried out where Twitter took a look at the names that were being spoken about as the likely contender for the job once Ryan Tuberty announced that he was packing it up at the end of this season. He'll do his last show on the 26th of May and of course lots of speculation, lots of people putting forward who they would like to see host the Late Late Show and Tommy Tiernan came out on top of the t- of the top 10 of potential candidates uh, who should take over the Late Late Show. Now he was followed by uh, Claire Byrne, Miriam O'Callaghan in third place, Graham Norton, can't see Graham Norton um, moving from the BBC but anyway he's in fourth place, Panty Bliss was in there in fifth, Eamon Dunphy, Dahi O'Shea in seventh place, uh, Doreen Garrahy in eighth place, uh, Sarah McInerney and of course the usual uh, keen sense of humour of the Irish Enoch Burke came out in 10th place on that uh, Twitter poll. Um, but so I do, I, you'll be interested to hear what Tommy Tiernan has to say about possibly taking over as the late late. But if you look at the polls, if you look at the betting that's going on, uh, Claire Byrne is still very much out in front 
as the person to take over the Late Late Show. But Sarah McInerney is also doing very well and Boyle Sports are putting her at five to four where Claire Byrne is at four to six. So it's kind of lots of people are saying that it will be a female. So it's looking like it's going down to Claire Byrne and Sarah McInerney. But then do either of the girls want to do the job is the other uh, question. But I was reading in the papers today, this came up at the Dáil's Media Committee yesterday. The Kerry Fine Gael TD, Brendan Griffin, reckons that the Late Late Show has run its course and that with the with when Ryan Tuberty steps down at the end of this season. Maybe it's time to call it a day. Now, he did say that, you know, Brian Tuberty has done a really good job on the show, but he was asking the new RTE chair whether she believed it was time to consider moving on entirely, scrapping the programme in its current uh, format. Now, the new chair of the RTE, bo- RTE board is Suen Nirali, and uh, she said it was wouldn't the decision wouldn't be up to her; it would be up to the executive board. She said it would be an editorial decision, and the board of RTE don't get involved in that. But it was interesting to see Brendan. Griffin say in his opinion he thinks that you know enough is enough we've seen enough of the Late Late Show retire the show completely with Ryan Tuberty and maybe go with a completely different uh, format completely maybe a different style of chat show on a Friday night your thoughts welcomed uh, on that do you think the Late Late Show has had its uh, day there are some people who are of the belief that the the true Late Late Show was when Gay Byrne was doing it Pat Kenny then did it I think for 10 years and now Ryan Tuberty has been doing it for 7 years but it's never reached the dizzy heights that it reached when Gay Byrne was at the hell of the Late Late Show but that has got a lot to do with one channel land at the time uh, and people had nothing else to watch but the Late Late Show and it was a very different Ireland as well uh, and you know Gay Byrne did an absolutely outstanding job on the Late Late but uh, one wonders if he had continued would the show you know would it have lost the same number of listeners that it has lost since he was uh, in charge and was it more to do with people having access to so many other things to watch on a Friday night so should we scrap the Late Late Show completely uh, or if not are, are you of the view that Tommy Tiernan would be a good substitute to take over 0818 103 103 housing making the papers as well uh, today and this will be welcome news to people who really feel that they will never ever own their own home because a new housing package to address the rising cost of building a house and to try to incentivise the development of affordable homes is now being developed by the government. Senior officials and ministers seemingly are locked into confidential talks and it's aimed at developing measures that will make construction, especially of affordable and cost rental housing, more attractive. After record levels of corporation tax that got announced uh, yesterday, the government certainly are awash with money and they need to try to find something to do with uh, the money. So uh, it's now looking like that a chunk of that money will be put to encourage developers to build more housing and more affordable housing in the coming uh, months. They're looking at things like including a subvention scheme to promote the construction of cost rental housing and to provide state funded agencies at significantly reduced market uh, prices. They're saying between a half a billion and three quarters of a billion could be set aside for what is, is expected to be co- called the cost rental subvention scheme. It could result in subventions of anything up to 150,000 
per building being paid to developers to go out and build cost rental homes and the scheme then will be expected to run for about five years. Cost rental housing is of course provided by local authorities, it's also provided by housing agencies and it's also provided by the land development agencies. Rents must be 25% below the market uh, rate and the net income. At the moment uh, people in the households, the camp have households of over €53,000 they're the people able to apply for the scheme. Now the housing package is expected to be announced early next week because obviously now that it's been leaked the government are fearful that if they delayed the announcement what would happen is builders would hold off on constructing houses because they know that this would be coming. Uh, it will not include ta- t- the what's going to be announced also is not going to include tax cuts to landlords to encourage them to remain in the private rental sector. They're going to hold off on that until the budget because yesterday I heard the Finance Minister uh, Michael McGrath say he had made a commitment to give tax cuts to, to landlords but he is insisting that that's not going to happen before the uh, budget. He also accepted that we're seeing a very significant departure of landlords from the market. We're always going to need private rental sector. But of course, it's also important that we make public housing available. So that's why they're coming at it uh, in two different ways. A government source said specific measures around more immediate reductions in construction costs are also being examined by the Housing Minister. And just Monday of this week, the Cabinet Committee on Housing met obviously to discuss this ongoing crisis and they agreed to put in place a plan to try to incentivise developers to build more cost rental homes. Developers regularly complain about the cost of construction the record levels of inflation and of course a lot of that was sparked by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and that's resulted in rising building material prices and it's just adding to the problems that people have about never being able to afford or never be able to have a hope of getting a local authority house or a cost rental uh, house. Uh, so some that certainly will be some good news so let's wait and see. As I say, it is hoped that the announcement will be made as early as next week. William Donnerell was on. He wants to say a huge Thank you to Mallow or to Donorail Tidy Towns and also to the townhouse in Donorail for a donation that they gave William yesterday for the Irish guide dogs for the disabled. William's dog is a golden retriever called Roger. So, on behalf of Roger and the Irish dogs for the disabled, thank you to Donorail Tidy Towns and to the townhouse. Now, on the late late, should we be scrapping the late late? Uh, what should we be doing about it? And this is in advance of me having a chat with Tommy Tiernan later on where I ask him about would he consider putting his name forward or would he like to be considered as presenter of the Late Late? Miriam McClonagh-Kilty says uh, that she does think that Ryan Tuberty did well on the show but she says that we must remember that the offerings that are out there today for example she says her young children never watch TV they're constantly watching TikTok on their phones so she would agree with the Kerry Fina Gale uh, TD Brendan Griffin that it does need some kind of a change. Now she wouldn't agree with, with Uh, Brendan Griffin to scrap it she just feels it needs to change in some way she says the political style that they use she thinks that's good because it opens up conversation uh, between people who have opposing views but she feels it needs a revamp she also thinks it needs to to shorten it that it's on far too long on a Friday night Joe in Kilmallock suggests having a different presenter every week also he thinks they should take the show around the country and have it outside of Dublin every week Uh, it would be very 
costly uh, for them. Eileen in Crosshaven said uh, that she watched Angela Scanlon's show uh, the other night for the first time. She was taken aback at how good it was. She said it was fantastic. Haven't watched that programme. Uh, she loved the interaction and the way Angela kept the re- interaction going between the ge- guests. Maybe that's a kind of a format that could be used for the uh, Late Late. That's from Eileen in Crosshaven. Thank you for that. Uh, WhatsApper says Baz. Um, Baz Ashwawe Ash I also have a problem saying his name uh, who presents the, the big build SOS she thinks he'd be a fine choice as host for the Late Late Show I've heard his name mentioned even though he didn't come out in that top 10 that was listed on uh, Twitter but yeah I agree I think he would be good someone uh, these are some of your texts and not a fan of Tommy Tiernan he just simply wouldn't be suitable for the Late Late says this texter Dahi O'Shea is the man for me Dahi was in that uh, top 10 list he was in 7th place Hi Patricia yes definitely we need to move on from the Late Late we are now in the 21st century leave Tommy on his Saturday night show because that is hugely uh, successful Hi Patricia can't stand the Late Late show I barely ever look at it to be honest Friday nights on my nights out so never in to look at it Hi Patricia I hope this message finds you well and welcome back thank you very much I th- also think it's time to scrap the late late I don't think Ryan Tuberty was the right man for the show also RTE needs to stop interviewing other RTE employees on the show that's what puts me off from watching the late late keep up the good uh, work from West Cork listener thank you for that okay that's some of your comments on the late late show and should it be scrapped as Brendan Griffin the Kerry Fine Gael TD he raised that issue at the Dolls Media Committee yesterday and feels it's run its course time to move on Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. Now a multi-agency delegation from Cork City is set to visit supervised injection centres in Portugal next month. It's on a fact-finding trip. The delegation will include five city councillors, members of Angarda Siakona and HSC officials. Blackpool-based doctor and Cork City councillor John Sheehan is part of the delegation and he joins me. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. I suppose, can you begin by explaining to people what a supervised injection centre is? Yes. Well, the idea behind it, uh, Patricia, is there's about 120 of them in the world. And we know from evidence that about 20% of um, IV drug abusers are what's called chaotic drug users. In other words, these are the people who are down the lanes, in stairways. They're the ones who discard needles um, um, around the place, which causes huge sort of concern for, for communities. Um, you know, when people find needles or out near schools or playgrounds or anything like that. And the difficulty with with a lot of these individuals is with their chaos is that they're much higher risk of overdose and dying. And supervised drug centres involve where people can go in, they can inject themselves. We're not saying that's the, the right thing to do, but th- th- that's what they're doing. But they do it in a safe environment. There's a, somebody there, a, a nurse or healthcare professional, uh, if there's a risk of overdose, they have the naloxone, which is an antidote uh, for, for, for overdose, and they can get medical care. And the other issue is by bringing them into a supervised injecting centre, what you do is you reduce the chaos that's around areas, you reduce down the drug litter, you reduce down the the sort of injecting down alleyways or stairwells. But most importantly, you're saving lives. And the evidence shows that it does save lives and no one has, has overdosed in a, in a drug 
uh, injecting centre. And also then it brings them into sort of the health service gradually by getting to know them and building up that trust and relationship. So it's a benefit for the community. It's a benefit for the individuals. And it's, I suppose, approaching it from a health-based um, mm. viewpoint. Can it, can it help some drug users to actually get off the drugs? That, that will be the hope, because if, you're, if they're not engaging with any service, it's very hard for them to get off um, um, drugs. But if you're coming in here, you build up, say, with a community worker, you build up a bit of a relationship, they get to know you, you get to know them, it helps with that. You're not using dirty needles, so you're building up that sort of trust element, and then you... The hope, the, the hope would be that you would streamline them into services and then get them off drugs as well. So, so it has a number of effects. It reduces down the risk of overdose. It reduces down sort of the chaos that uh, happens, I suppose, with taking drugs. And then hopefully it gets them into services as well. And you, you believe, obviously, that Cork City needs at least one of these supervised injection centres? Well, yeah, and I suppose it's, it's not just me. It's, there's an interagency group with the HSE, the guards, and the city council, because obviously they're they're all uh, involved with this, and it, there's a firm belief that they there is a need for that within Cork. Now, you also there's a significant cost with this because of staffing and things like that. So you have to see whether where you're going to locate it, whether it's going to be used. Uh, there is one in Dublin that, that is starting. Uh, obviously, they have a much bigger uh, population of people who take drugs there, so there's a definite need there in Cork. There is a feeling that there is a need. And then the question, Patricia, is should you have a fixed centre or should you have a mobile centre? And the idea of a mobile centre is that you could have it in a couple of locations uh, for times and would that reach out to the population? Because it has to be where people are taking drugs. There's no point in having it miles away. Mm. No, nobody will use it and it'll just be a waste of money. And, and, and what do you know about the model that's used already in, in Portugal? Do they have a mobile unit? They have a fixed and a mobile okay. unit. So the idea of going there is it, it's Porto, Porto is regarded as the model of best practice internationally. So the idea about going there is to sort of see how does it work, how well does it work, how well does the fixed centre versus the mobile centre, and then look at all sorts of the logistics of setting it up. And then also the cost factor and, you know, what what lessons have they learned, you know, because they're up and running now for a while, what lessons have they learned um, from us so that we can bring that information back and hopefully... You know, if we set one up here in Cork, that it is a model of better practice and that will have an effect in terms of saving, saving lives. Do you think that you may have a job getting local people on board with the idea of an injection centre? It, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, because there's, there's, a, there's a question of fear, there's a question of what's going to happen, will everyone be hanging around and, uh, and issues like that. But when you explain what it is and when you explain that it's working with the guards, with the HSE, with, you know, that, that you're bringing people out from the, the, the lanes and the alleyways and things like that. And the evidence seems to show that it actually improves an area rather than making it worse. Because what you're doing is you're not bringing, you're not putting in an area where people aren't taking drugs. You're, you're putting in an area where people are already taking uh, drugs. But they're taking it down alleyways and they're mm. taking it, you know, in playgrounds and things like that. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to remove it from those areas and put it in a safe area where it won't affect other people and it will provide support and health care for those people at higher risk. And, and is there much of that open drug use going on in the city, John? There's not a huge amount, I have to be honest. I mean, much more, much less so compared to Dublin. But there is. I mean, you could walk through town. And what, what really struck me, Patricia, was during the pandemic, where everything was shut down, 
you could see it uh, a mile away then because the, the normal shoppers who were around town and things like that, you mightn't see it. But then when everything was shut, you certainly could see it. I mean, the reality is alcohol remains our number one uh, issue and problem. But for a small cohort of people who are taking IV drug uh, use, they, it's, a number of them are chaotic and their lives are very chaotic. And if we can do something to help that, because, you know, there are family members, there are people's children, they, they never set out like this. And I always think if you look at people's pictures when they're young, their communion and confirmation pictures, you know, they're, they're the same as all of us. Uh, all, all of us, most of us have, have pictures like that as kids. And they didn't set out to, you know, go down this pathway. And if we can do things that will help bring them back and make their lives safer, you know, I think it's definitely worth considering. Yeah, I don't know if you watched that uh, programme that was on RTE about the homeless people in Dublin. Uh, the other day and uh, you know the, you could see uh, the, none of them wanted to be homeless these were all rough sleepers living on the street and, and a lot of them had had drug addiction uh, issues but uh, all of them something had happened in their lives that just put them on the wrong path it was just it was one of the saddest programmes I've watched they really did and, and it's just that trauma that they have and, and, and you realise that the trauma that people have particularly when they're children and young they carry it for their whole lives and it affects an awful lot of their decisions and then they end up taking drinking or taking things just to kind of numb numb themselves from sort of the pain that they're feeling and also um, if we can do things that might help reach out this this isn't a, a magic wand by any means but if we can put some of these services in and you're, you're, you're dead right Patricia in terms of the fear and you know explaining what it means and what it's about and that's why I think it's so important to have the Gardaí involved, City Council and the HSE, all on the same sort of uh, playing field and, and explaining, because the Gardaí are supportive of this as well. So I think that's a very encouraging sort of uh, platform to build something like this and to help very vulnerable individuals. Yeah, somebody's asking about rehabilitation treatments. Uh, do we have enough rehabilitation treatments for people who are hooked on drugs? We, we have an awful lot of services, an awful lot of day services, inpatient services and things like that. Our problem very often is access in terms of time. So you might see someone who really wants to get off drugs for, you know, has something has happened or some they just decide they've had enough. And then there's this sometimes this waiting period to kind of get into treatment. And, and, and sometimes that can be really hard for uh, for people. But there is, a, to be fair, there there is some very very good services that are out there. Um, you know, there's day outpatients and day centres, and you know other sort of voluntary support groups and things like that. But it is very very hard. I mean, if I if I told anyone now that you know if they were coming off drugs that you'd have to change your phone, you'd have to you know all the people you're hanging out with, you'd have to change from that your day, which was spent maybe taking drugs and hanging out with other people. Suddenly you're going to have to change all of that. Um, you're going to have to face up to all your financial and stress things that you've kind of been blotted out. It can be overwhelming, you know, um, to sort of approach it from that level. So having those supports is really, really um, important. Yeah, and that's why the inc- the, in the centres, as you said, they'll start engaging with people who might just be able to put them on that right path. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and sometimes it can just be that thing, you know, one or two per, uh, people who build yeah. up that relationship yeah. and suddenly they're seen as a person and seen as someone who has needs and they start building up that trust and that relationship. And, and, and that's the hope with this. 
Okay, well, good good luck on that uh, fact-finding trip. We might speak to you again when you come back from it. But just before I let you go, just on a different topic, we mentioned yesterday the removal of the mandatory use of face masks in hospitals and uh, health care centres that was introduced because of uh, COVID. Uh, We had a couple of calls in yesterday saying, does that include uh, GP practice? It, it, It it, it does, yes. Um, so, we, so, so we didn't make it mandatory from yesterday, and it was it was great, actually. I have to be honest. What? So there are still some individuals who will wear it, and that's absolutely fine. There's still people who have respiratory symptoms, so we'd encourage them to wear it. And then some people may feel more comfortable wearing it, or may have some underlying condition, and they want to wear it. So it's very much about a choice. And if people want to wear it, um, absolutely fine, because some people have got very comfortable wearing it. But it's not mandatory and yeah. that's great. Okay. Listen, John, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. John Sheehan, who is also counsellor uh, John uh, Sheehan. Jim says, Patricia, I was in Dublin recently and a taxi driver was showing me where the supervised inju- in- injection centre was along the Keys. It's not far from Temple Bar. He says there was dealers hanging around there dealing, not a great advertisement for tourists as most will visit the Temple Bar uh, area. Uh, but but Jim, what is be- what is worse to have them getting their drugs and then to be shooting up down an alleyway near uh, Temple Bar or on the streets and then disposing of their syringes? Whereas if they get their drugs and they go into that supervised uh, injection centre, there's you know health professionals in there. They can get clean needles. The needles are disposed of properly. Uh, so you know we we're not going to end drug use unfortunately but it's a step towards trying to make it a little bit safer for the drug addicts and to make it safer for the general public because nobody wants and certainly you don't want for tourists to be witnessing somebody shooting up outside on the uh, street so I would disagree with you it might, you you might not feel it's a great advertisement for tourists but I think it's a worse advertisement for tourists if they're shooting up down the alleyway in Temple Bar. Now according to the main current affairs programme on TG Cahar Gwaeltocht areas have seen an exodus of ban on Tees, hosting students during the summer months with some parts of the country uh, losing a third of their host families. To find out how it is affecting Cape Clear, I'm joined by Martino Mayloid, who is the former manager of the Cape Clear Cooperative. Good morning to you, Martine. Hello, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm very well, and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, pre-COVID, the number of banantees in this country stood at 712. That was in 2019. That number has dropped to 495 nationwide. Why are families moving away, do you believe, from hosting students? I think, Patricia, really, one of the things that happened is, obviously, when COVID came along, like, there would be a number of people who would kind of like would be dropping off naturally anyway, people who maybe were getting a bit older or just were coming to the end of their time. And so I think what we saw then as a result of COVID is, yes, you had that drop off and then, but then you didn't have new people coming into the system because there was nothing happening basically in 2020 and 2021. There were no Irish colleges and then there were a number of colleges last year that weren't able to run either. But also, I think the amount of money maybe that they're paid um, through the through the government system like is quite low. And look, there are a number of factors there. And but basically, like the facts are that, yes, that the numbers have reduced drastically. How are you affected on Cape Clear for how many host families do you have on Cape Clear? We are affected in Cape Clear quite significantly, really. I mean, Colossi Kiron stopped running back in 2017. They used to take up to 100 students per course. And then our own college, College de Public Clara, 
we would have been taking maybe 60 or 70 on the June course and 30 or 40 on the on the second and third course. But now this year, and to focus on the positive for Cape Clear, we're back in action this year. We have two two-week courses, which will actually be, will be like a boutique Colossia now compared to some other Colossia, but we'll have 30 students on each course. And just to say, um, while I'm on here with you, that we still have spaces on both courses for some boys. So if people want to go on to, you know, Irish College, Cape Clear Island, we'll get them onto our um, cover page on the website there and they'll find the links or indeed they can phone the office on 028-39119 and get their, get their young lad registered. So this is these are courses now for kids that would be just finished like first year or second year. Okay, and it's two two-week courses as opposed to they would have been three, four-week courses, was it, in the past? Yeah, so a lot of the colleges now are focusing on two-week courses, A, to try and keep um, the cost for the parents down because obviously, like, the price of courses have gone up because all costs of of everything have gone up, obviously, and um, we just felt that maybe, like, the June course would always attract the most, and so now we felt that if we can get a two-week course in there and the first half then of a second course into the month of June, that that would be helpful for parents and for kids coming to the college. So, look, like I said, we're getting back in action this year. We'll start with the two two-week courses back in and see how we see, go from see there. See how it goes. And where, yeah. so, so 30 students on each course, and where will they stay? They will be staying in, so we have two separate houses. We have uh, two houses, Tig Fleur and Iron Agrena, so there'll be girls in one and, and lads in, in the other. Okay. And look, as everybody knows, the kids that come to Cape Clear always have a fabulous time. Absolutely. And like, we were fighting away, we were turning away, unfortunately, students every year, you know, back in the pre-COVID days. And I think just that there's been a bit of a, a lull now because, you know, we weren't running there for a couple of years and kind of like the chain is broken a bit, but I've no doubt that once we get up and running again, we'll be we'll be beating everyone away from the door again. Yeah, and these courses, Martine, they're great for the young people. I mean, you know, I mean, they obviously the huge benefit is to be immersed in the Irish language and, and, you know, they do improve their language skills, but there's a huge social side to these courses. Yeah, look, okay, so come on, let's face it, like the kids that are coming to Colossus to Sarah, they're not coming now because they want to go away with a with a degree as Gaelge. <laughs> but of course, of course, like the immersion in the Irish language, of course, from a cultural and a language point of view, that is most important. And we are very focused on that, of course. But look, let's face it, come on, like the teenagers, the kids are coming to us because they want to have a bit of crack and this great social interaction. And it's just great crack. Mm. And it's kind of a kind of a... Um, what would you call it? It's kind of a, a, a passage as well from childhood into teenagerhood proper or whatever as well. Let's face it. And over the years, would you have had students who would have come back every year? Yeah, we'd have had a lot of students there that would come back, you know, two or maybe three years in a row. Yeah. Or, or then some of them that would come back and work in the cloister as cannery. And we'd have students as well that came back, worked as cannery and then went on to come back as teachers. Isn't that fantastic? And Isn't we also then we would have we would have kids coming to the Colossia whose parents came to the Colossia, you know, and they're now years ago and they're whatever. now sending yeah. their, their their children. And of course, the knock on effect because as, as you know, as TG Cahara pointing out, this is a, a nationwide uh, issue. If there isn't enough uh, students, the, the knock on effect is local businesses in all the great talk areas around the country will yeah, be affected. 
And Patricia, for us, as I said on that, that programme that was on TG Car last night, like for, for Elon Clara, I mean, you're talking about everything from, you know, the ferry that brings them in and out of the island, and then, of course, parents that come to visit, the effect of the shop and for the craft shop and for the pubs and other businesses. Like, there's just a knock-on effect for everything, of course. OK, so two two-week courses uh, this week, this year, and then you'll obviously assess for next year and, and see, see how it goes. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, okay. And then overall, looking forward to a busy summer, Martin? Overall, of course, looking forward to a busy summer. It's great now to be to be really sort of like back to normal. And um, and yeah, we look forward to welcoming everyone who comes to beautiful Cape Clear Island. And um, it's a great place to visit, a great place to come and stay. And uh, we look forward to seeing plenty of people now in the summer, including well, including the... Um, the students who will come to Colossal Public Clara. And no place better to be than on an island off West Cork when the sun is shining. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen, thanks for that, uh, Martine, and good luck with the courses uh, this year. Okay, Patricia, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Bye bye, bye bye. Martine uh, Salon, Martine O'Mayloid, uh, former manager of the Cape Clear Cooperative, as he said, still some places available for if you've got a young lad who might be interested in going off to the Gwale Talks on a two week course. And actually, the idea of the two week course rather than the longer courses, that actually might suit some students as well, because for many students, many young people, it's their first time ever being away from home on their own. And it can be a great kind of a confidence boost as well for young people particularly for the Shire uh, young people because it gets them mixing with other people and there's great anyone who's ever been to the Gwaeltoch or anyone that ever went to the Gwaeltoch as a teenager will tell you that the crack is absolutely uh, 90 so if there's any young boys they're full for the girls but they do have a number of uh, small number of places left for the boys for those two two-week courses out on beautiful Cape Clear for the Gwaeltoch this summer 0818 103 103 and a text in from this is reacting to my chat with Dr John Sheehan when we were talking about the supervised injection centres and the possibility and the hope that we would get a supervised injection centre here in Cork City and so they're going off to Portugal to take a look at how it operates there what they can learn from it and try to get the best practice and uh, if and when we open a supervised injection centre in the city it will be the best that it can be a listener says oh my god Patricia listening to Dr John Sheehan what a kind human being especially when he was talking about the drug addicts and the people that live rough on the streets I always say when I'm watching any of these television programmes when you when they talk about homeless people or people who are addicted to drugs I'm always saying to myself says this listener that that is somebody's child uh, it is shameful in this country we seem to be great at helping everybody else but we don't seem to be so good at looking at our own it is so sad Listener, I'm assuming from this text also watched the programme that I watched if you watch that programme on homelessness that was on, on uh, RT it was, it, it's on the player if you missed it it's an incredible uh, hour of uh, TV uh, it, it was one of those programmes where I sat speechless watching it you know when you're just so taken aback by these people and they very much got you very much got to see the human side of the homeless people and they are, you know they are all somebody's children somebody's brother somebody's sister 
uh, in some cases, somebody's wife, somebody's mother. It was just, it, it, it left me with a, a feeling of, I wanted to, you know, I was hoping that all of them at the end, they'd come out and show who got houses. Now, some did. There was one couple in particular that did manage to get housing and the change that you saw in that particular uh, couple. But anyway, let me go back to this uh, text uh, to say shame. Um, the, the one thing that struck this listener watching the programme was the people who were looking down on them as they were walking past them when they were out begging on uh, the street. There is an old saying, Patricia, never look down on anyone unless you're looking down to uh, help them up. But let's all bear in mind and keep in mind that all of those people who are addicted to drugs, people who are addicted to alcohol, who end up on the street and who end up homeless and who end up begging, that they were all and they are all somebody's child. Thank you for that text. Some of your calls, text some WhatsApps flowing into us this morning. A lot of people reacting on The Late Late and I will be uh, talking with Tommy Tiernan about The Late Late in uh, this hour but also the Fine Gael, uh, Kerry TD, Brendan Griffin uh, yesterday speaking at the Dáil Media Committee is wondering is it uh, time to say goodbye to The Late Late Show and has it run its course and should RT simply consider ending it when Ryan Tuberty does his last show at the end of uh, May and then people are coming up with suggestions of no, don't scrap it but who should the replacement be? A number of people are saying uh, Claire Byrne, the only woman for the show but someone else is suggesting Sinead Kennedy there's nobody else to do it but Sinead Kennedy says one of our texters Tom in Mitchelton says I don't think it should be scrapped there are many TV shows in the UK and indeed in the States that are running 40 years or more and they keep them going however Tom does agree that it needs some kind of a revamp and a change up in style but he feels it should be kept no matter what people are saying it's watched remember at the end of the day it still is watched by a large number of people giving all of the choice that is out there from all the different streaming services and all of the other different channels they still have a high viewership uh, every week Pat says Tommy Tiernan the Tommy Tiernan show on a Saturday night when it's on is uh, great but Pat says he should stick to that The Late Late needs a very different approach and he's suggesting maybe two presenters a male and a female it needs to bring in a younger audience also so maybe they need to get presenters that the older generation will never have heard of but the younger generation will know and that would help the future of the show to keep going. Noreen McCroom is similar to Pat with her suggestion of a different, fresher approach with this male and female presenter. Noreen makes the point that we see it all the time on daytime TV. I mean, we've more and I very successfully on daytime uh, TV out of Cork, uh, but we rarely see it at uh, nighttime. So maybe why not give two presenters a try, lock them into a contract for a year, see how it goes. If it doesn't work, you can change back, but give it it is worth looking into having two people present Michael says Patricia I've said it from day one there's only one person that can take over from Ryan Tuberty and that's Claire Byrne she is the obvious choice she is still my number one choice says Michael the late late at the end of the day is light entertainment and that's where Ryan Tuberty has slotted in perfectly Michael says can you imagine Tommy Tiernan in the midst of a studio full of children for the toy show I doubt it somehow no (laughs) I couldn't either I would 
also questions as Michael his uh, suitability. Yeah, he would be, and I, I do make the point. I don't can't see RTE even offering him the position. Hi, Patricia. I wonder if Ryan Tuberty has seen the pointlessness of carrying on flogging a dead horse. The dead horse being the late late show. He's getting out at the right time while he is on top. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. We were talking about drugs in the last hour and the idea of a supervised drug in injection centre for Cork. Kieran says one of the possible solutions is to do with drugs because he says he's seen a lot of trouble uh, in the area of uh, drugs. But he says a possible solution could be if as a society we decided to go fully cashless. It may help because he says up and down the towns and streets uh, of up and down the streets of our cities and towns and indeed can I say our villages cash has been handed over on a daily basis to drug dealers if everything was on a plastic card it would eliminate a lot of that drug dealing now it might get rid of it completely says Kieran but it certainly would put a major dent in the drug scene because they do deal in cash he says another advantage to going cashless would be it would get rid of those scammers who call door to door doing odd jobs and in particular targeting older people because they only deal in cash as well. So a reason to promote a cashless society says uh, Kieran. And here is a lovely WhatsApp with absolutely great compassion. Is there a name? There is. It's Pat. Pat says to people who may be against a supervised injection centre, I would ask them if it was your son or your daughter if it was your brother, if it was your sister, your niece or your nephew, where would you want them to be? In an alley, down a laneway, in a park, on a piece of waste land where they might die? Or would you prefer to see them in a controlled environment where they would at least be a little bit safer and where help would be available if, God forbid, something was to go wrong? It's more important to keep our own safe rather than worrying about what a stranger might think. Pat says drugs can affect any family, there's nobody exempt from this scourge. And that is so, so true. It can literally affect anyone. And we never know, you know, we can all sit smugly and say, oh, well, drugs don't affect my family. You never know going forward uh, what can happen. So well done, uh, Pat, and great compassion in your text, which I love to see. And then someone else is picking up on Jim, who said a taxi driver was pointing out to him with a supervised drug injection centre is in Dublin and the taxi driver was saying look there are all the dealers hanging around outside and it was near Temple Bar in Dublin and Jim said that's not a really good look for tourists and then I was arguing the toss with Jim saying well what's a better look to have the drug addict will still buy the drugs from the dealer whether it's outside the supervised drug injection centre or whether it's down an alleyway which is better from the tourists to see the drugs being openly used and then the drug paraphernalia you know drum dropped all over the place on our streets. Somebody's picking up on that saying if there were if there were dealers hanging around outside those drug in, injection centres where were the Gardaí and why were the Gardaí not picking them up which I suppose is a valid point. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs An experienced concrete finisher and construction worker is wanted. It's for a new housing development in Court McSherry. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A receptionist slash admin assistant with accounts experience please is wanted for Mallow Print. Please apply with your cover letter and a CV 
to jobs at malloprint.com. O'Donnell's CVRT Test Centre, they're based in Mitchellstown. They're looking for a vehicle tester for light and heavy goods vehicles. The number to call is 025 85119. And Dairy Gold Co-op Superstores in Fairmount are looking for a retail store manager with a knowledge of agri. CVs please to careersdg at dairygold.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Court today at C103.ie. Today on C103. Now, taxback.com are calling on the government to abolish a rule which prevents private residential tenants from claiming the newly established rent credit, which is worth up to €500 Euro a year for a single person. And to find out more, I'm joined on WhatsApp by Marion Ryan, who is the consumer tax manager with Taxback. Uh, good morning to you, Marion. Good morning. Uh, You're welcome to the programme. Now, do we know how many tenants have claimed this tax credit and do we have any idea on how many are entitled to claim it? Yeah, so we estimate it's about 400,000 people in the country that are eligible for the credit that are paying rent in Ireland and would have done last year there. And so far, there's about 120,000 people have claimed the credit there. So there's about, it's only about 30 percent. 33% 33% kind of uptake on it there. So there's hundreds and thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people that still haven't claimed it there. And what we're finding is a lot of people are hitting a wall when it comes to claiming it there. They are renting, they were renting, they're entitled to claim their 500 euros. But the problem they're getting is that they don't have an RTB registration number. Their landlord potentially isn't registered with the RTB. And that's one of the mandatory requirements to, to claim back the tax credit there with the revenue is that your property has to be registered with the RTB and you have to get that from your landlord and I suppose as you know people are afraid to approach their landlords at the moment about anything because Mm. I suppose we're in the midst of a housing crisis there and the last thing you want to do is poke the bear with your landlord start asking for information that potentially they don't have and they don't want to give and then you could end up facing maybe a rent hike there for yourself like alone there I think rents have gone up about 9% nearly 10% in the last 12 months and the last thing you want to do is by claiming a tax credit of 500 euros for the year have a, a rent hike topped and thrown top in with that as well I suppose. Yeah and the registration with the RTB Marion is down to the landlord not the tenant. Yeah so like legally and I suppose regulations say that every ten, every landlord should register every tenant they have with the RTB and the RTB then is I suppose the official body there for it. There. Like we, at the moment we know there's about 32 now 33,000 rental tenancies registered with the RTB in Cork there may be more that aren't registered I suppose the reason that maybe some landlords aren't registered with the RTB is that they're maybe they're renting it out under off the books there they're not declaring it with the RTB they're not declaring it with the revenue which is unfortunate I suppose then for the the tenants because if the landlord isn't registered with the RTB 
they're stuck and they can't claim their tax relief. Now, I would like to kind of highlight um, what we have found with a lot of tenants when we are talking to them year in tax back about claiming back their credit. They're afraid to go approach the landlord for the RTB registration number, so they don't know if they have one. But it actually, if you go onto the RTB website, and you actually search using your air code there, you'll be able to get the RTB oh. registration number that way. So yeah, it's just because, maybe for people that are afraid to approach the yeah, landlord. Because landlord. I remember yeah. when we first started talking about it, when this was uh, first announced, we had a number of uh, tenants who were like that, were uh, afraid to ask the landlord for the number because they were fearful that by claiming this tax credit, it somehow their rent would go up. I mean, this doesn't cost the landlord anything when somebody claims back this tax credit. Absolutely not. No. So if there's a landlord out there that's fully compliant and they're registered with the RTB and they're filing their tax returns and everything like that, it makes absolutely no difference to them whether the tenant claims the tax credit or not. So if your landlord's compliant and has you registered with the RTB, you can file a return and it'll have no negative impact for them there along the way there. But it's just, I suppose that there is a lot of people fearful just having any conversation know, with their I landlord. Know. Maybe it's they really haven't had a interview in the last year. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really unfortunate because, you know, we've heard of people who uh, the, the repairs need to be done in the house and they're just so afraid of, of ringing up uh, the landlord. So you feel a possible solution to this is to abolish that rule? Yeah, well, but maybe reconsider it or maybe have maybe some exceptions to the rule that would be available for people like that. I, I understand the, the logic behind it. They have to have some sort of compliance factor in there to make sure that all the claims for the rent tax credit go in, that, that they're legitimate, that you are actually paying rent to be entitled to to the credit there. But maybe just if they ease back on it there, maybe a case that they could have the RTB registration number or maybe a copy of your, your rental agreement there with the landlord or something like that where they could still make sure that they are being compliant and that the people that are applying for the credit are genuinely entitled to it but just to make it a little bit easier for them like because there are a few exceptions to the rule so if it's a case that you're renting under the rent a room scheme so the rent a room scheme is where a landlord actually rents out a room in their own home their primary residence there so that would be people maybe that are looking to cover the cost of the mortgage they've got a spare room so they're renting it out there they don't have to be registered with the RTB there because it's a tax-free amount that they're getting there. So those people can actually claim the, the rent tax credit. Or if it's a case that maybe you're paying for digs for a child that you have in college there as the parent paying for the digs there. And because, again, it's in the, the home of the, the landlord there, they can actually claim the rent tax credit oh, as right. well there. So it's just to maybe put in an exception for those or some sort of a different check for people that are renting from a private landlord, but they don't have an RTB registration number. And it is, it's, I mentioned it's 500 a year for a single person, but can it be a thousand for a married couple? Yeah, so it's per oh. individual. So if it's a married couple, if you're jointly assessed, you can claim a thousand euros. And the, the really nice thing about it is, as I mentioned there, before it used to be just your principal primary residence. So if it was just the house that you're living in, and say you're paying mortgage on your home there, but you have a child in college in Dublin, for example, and you're paying for rent for them, you can still claim the tax credit and get the thousand euros back for there. Or maybe it's a case that you're you're living here in Cork and you have your house bought in Cork, but you have to travel to Loud, for example, for work yeah. and you have to rent uh, up there five days a week. You can claim the tax credit as well, even if though it's not your primary residence, because you have to travel there and you have to rent there because 
because of work, you can claim the credit there, even though it's not your principal primary residence. So there are a few nice ways of, of getting it there. And it's just unfortunate for those few that are, are stuck or there, cost, afraid yeah. to go to the landlord and, for uh, the... You know, the and as you say, rent is is incredibly high at the moment. I mean, you know, yeah. 500 for a single or a thousand, it isn't a lot, but it, you might as well have it in your bank account. Absolutely. And I suppose with the cost of living crisis and everything going on at the moment, every every euro counts there along the way. And especially with this, because the, the government did introduce it to put money back into people's pockets there and the revenue should be fair to them. They're more than willing to issue it out to people. I suppose their job is to apply the rules that they have been told. And they've been told the rules at the moment is there has to be an RTB registration. So it's nearly a kind of a higher level decision to be made on it there Um in relation to it there so the money is there to be claimed back and the revenue are willing to give it out once I suppose someone's able to get all the information they need to claim it. Okay somebody says please could you ask your tax specialist who is Marion Ryan from Tax Back if a student paid rent in December uh, it was a set amount to cover for the next six months from December through to uh, June um, is that student eligible for the t- for the rent credit? Yeah, so the student themselves, so maybe case, as I said, their their parents may be able to claim it or themselves. So when you're a student, it depends if you, so the tough thing about tax tax refunds is that you have to be paying tax yeah. to claim a tax refund. So if it's a student and they're not working or they're only working part time and they're not paying tax, they wouldn't be able to claim it. But if it's a case, maybe they are paying tax, they can claim it. Or if not, if it's their mum and dad or dad that are paying for the rent for them, they can claim the tax relief there. So because I said mentioned December there, December would have been back in 2022. So they can claim the refund relation to the December rent now and then any rent that they've paid for this year 2023 they'll have to wait until January to claim that back Okay and and it is you can claim for last year can't you for people who paid yeah. rent Yeah it was a really nice part of this is so usually budget, budget measures they're introduced for the following year so budget 23 was in September but they actually re- introduced it retrospectively for 2022 so if you were paying rent at all last year in 2022 you're eligible to claim the credit there and with tax refunds in general you can go back four years there to claim it back so you can claim back tax for 2019 20 21 22 and it is really important to kind of look back for the last four years there because the average refund we find for people here in tax back is about 1800 euros Whoa. and that's over the space of the four yeah so there's really nice refunds there for people even if we look aside from the the rent tax credit there's a huge amount of different things like your medical expenses i suppose everyone knows about it but they don't claim it mm. but simple things like your prescription fees or your doctor's visits um lots of stuff like that laser eye surgery and braces they're all really kind of popular and high expense things there there's interesting things like a flat rate expense now people probably don't know what i mean when i say flat they're work-related expenses and there's 180 different occupations that are entitled to what's called a flat rate expense so say if you're working in retail for example there's 121 euros a year you can claim in relation to that if you're a nurse there's I think it's 733. I'm trying to think of the figures yeah, <laughs> off and, the top and, of my head people, there, but there's huge and, and that's, that's whole thing. Revenue don't come knocking on your door to tell you about this. You, you, need to, you need to know that you are entitled to these different allowances. Exactly. Exactly. So like, I suppose if you don't know that like the revenue aren't going to know what your medical expenses were yeah. in the previous year there, they're not going to know exactly what you're occupying occupation is there's like working from home and like I'm dialing in today from WhatsApp as you mentioned because I work from home now and there's hundreds of thousands of people working from home now there's a tax relief Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In relation to the additional utility bills, heating costs that you have there as well there, we, we call them building blocks. So everything individually might be a small refund for you, but once you kind of take everything into account can and build up. it up there, they, they can create refunds. Yeah, it definitely can add up. Listener wants to know the re- the registration number for the RTB. Would that be on your tenancy agreement? Um, Generally, um, it might not be because the the registration number has they have to register per tenant so you might be signing the register the tenancy agreement today and then the landlord might register you on the rtb after the the tenancy agreement is signed but for that listener there as i said if they go onto the rtb website and they put in their air code they'll be able to find the registration number okay Okay. and then is it somebody else wants to know is it easy how do you go about claiming the rent credit yeah um, well, yeah, it's easy once I suppose you have the information and you know what you're, you're doing there. So a lot of people are fearful of ever even going near the tax office so they avoid it like the plague there. So we try to make it a little bit easier for people here in TaxBack. So what we do is we send them a questionnaire, take maybe five minutes to fill in their details on it and we'll do all the rooting and digging around in the background to find the best refund for them. OK, all right. And it's TaxBack.com. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, listen, Marion, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining Lovely us. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Marion Ryan, who is consumer tax manager with taxback.com. If you are entitled to any kind of a rebate from the taxman, then uh, go go in search of it and uh, get it back. As it's, you might as well have it in your bank account than in Revenues a Bank account. John Paul's taking your calls 0818 You can text you can WhatsApp to 0862103103 and a reminder that it is uh, Thursday if you have a pet question for Jane Pickett our resident vet get it in because Jane will be joining us uh, in the final hour of the programme Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Tommy Tiernan is bringing his show Tom Foolery to Cork this summer with two dates pencilled in for Live at the Marquee on the 8th and 15th of June. To chat about the show, comedian, actor and TV presenter Tommy Tiernan joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Tommy. Patricia, how are you? I'm great and it's great to have you on uh, the programme. Am I right in saying that when you do these two performances in June, particularly the, the one on the 15th, that that's going to be the final performance of this show? So th- this show will um, end its Hibernian adventure uh, on the 15th of June and then I'll take a version of it to America back to America in October um, for a tour and that'll be it then yeah so but th- these are the last Irish performances of it anyway um, and but I'll stay busy you know I'm kind of it's, all, it's in my nature to be relentless 
at so, whatever it is. So I'll always, um, like every year I kind of build in the idea of, in my mind anyway, of three months summer holidays. Okay. But I just end up filling it. After about a week, I'm bored, stiff. So uh, it's in my nature to be doing something. So I'll always be, I'll be active, though I don't know uh, how yet, but I will be, I'll be busy. But like when you put one show behind you, does that mean then you've got to almost start focusing and thinking of the next show? Oh, totally. But it's exciting. I mean, it's terrifying as well because stand-up for me is something that I have Torahs full of uh, <laughs> jokes. I have a, an Old Testament sized file of notebooks and copies of ideas for jokes. Okay. None of them have ever made it onto the stage. So it's kind of like preparing for uh, a game of soccer, but every time you walk onto the pitch, someone hands you a hurl and a small ball. Um, so whatever prep I do, even though I love doing the preparation, somehow the, the you know, sitting on my own in a cafe or uh, in the hot press, <laughs> trying to think of ideas, um, Something happens when I walk out in front of a crowd and the kind of stupidity and the weakness of what I've come up with in solitude is shown to me and I have to kind of create on the spot. That's the nature of the beast. Mm. Um, so no two shows are ever the same? Well, no, they are, well, no, they are but they, they would differ in um, performance. So we say, I don't know if it's like this for... Um, uh, I, I nearly became a priest. Um, and if you can imagine going along to a priest every Sunday whose mass was different, but people couldn't put their finger on quite why. Uh, so maybe he says the Nicene Creed a little bit slower one week and he's more dramatic the following week. And he, um, So the show, show has elements of that where it's the same, same material, but you're kind of, you're performing it differently. And then, each week you have a new sermon. So each week there are there are genuinely new fresh bits in. Yeah. That's that's the way. And basically I'm a failed priest, basically, <laughs> Patricia, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, it was the Catholic Church's loss. It was our gain for sure. Now, it's a mobile phone free event. Yeah. Why and what will people have to do with their mobile phones? So the idea behind it is to liberate us all from the tyranny of the gadget. Mm. Um, and... What happens basically is you come along to the venue um, and you be given a pouch. You put your bag into the pouch. The pouch closes and it doesn't open again until after the show. And what that means is that for the first time in 15 years, 15 or 20 years, uh, people are at a gig and that's the only place they are. So from a performing point of view, it's something as kind of unpredictable, as volatile as risky as stand-up, it means you can kind of you can kind of say whatever you want, and if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. But you're not going to be crucified in the public square over it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you make mistakes, you know you'll fess up to them there and then, uh, rather than being tried by media uh, afterwards, um, and a kind of a, a gang of galloping horses coming chasing after you. It also means that the show never has to stop. Uh, because the performer is asking people to put away their phones. Mm, mm. Um, so the momentum is uninterrupted. And finally, it means that an audience can go 
and know that they're not going to be distracted by their own phones and they're not going to be distracted by anybody else's phone. Um, and it's an amazing thing. It We've done it now since um, January and we haven't had a single complaint about it. Audiences love it. I, I, think, I think it's fantastic because only you know, yesterday on the programme we were talking about uh, people being addicted to their phones and internet addiction. And I was talking about the fact I was away on holidays last week and every time I'm out in a restaurant... I, I look around to see who's on their mobile phones and it just frustrates the life course, out yeah, of me yeah. to see groups of young girls all beautifully dressed up and all ready for the night out, nobody talking. Yeah. In one restaurant, I wanted to stand up and shout, put away your bloody phones. Yeah. You're on holidays. Talk to each other. It's just, oh, so well done on the, on the no phone. Uh, and I hope others uh, follow suit. Now, yeah. you've played the marquee before. Do you remember how you first reacted to an invitation to come to Cork to play in a big, big top tent? Um, I would have been daunted by it probably um, I'm not really someone who does big shows generally speaking people like Michael McIntyre and John Bishop and would do you know they do crowds of between five and 20,000 you get guys in America now like Kevin Hart maybe I don't know if Dave Chappelle does massive crowds but they could play crowds between 20 and 80,000. Um, I'm much more comfortable uh, with, say, maybe three or four people. Um, so I would have been daunted the first time for sure, but there's something, <clears throat> it has different qualities. A small, intimate room uh, has the bonus of intimacy. So you're talking about a, uh, a small room, there might be only 80 or 100 people there. Um, but you can physically feel their presence. Whereas the bit, it's, it's strange. I was talking to a friend of mine who plays uh, arenas and uh, in front of, I think, an average crowd of maybe 10,000 people a night. And I was saying to him, what are they like? And he said, they're soul-destroying. He says, there's no connection with the audience. The nearest person is about 40 or 50 yards away from you. The furthest person is 120 yards away yeah. from you. They're just very, very difficult. Why do you do them? I asked him. And he says, because when I wake up in the morning, there's an extra quarter of a million in yeah, his bank account. That's, that's, so that's why he does them. Yeah, that's, so you that's, don't get an opportunity really in Ireland to play. Visiting comics come when they do the three arena and maybe they get around 8,000 people or something like that. Um, but the opportunity to play a, a, a big enough space in here doesn't happen that often. And it has a different quality. It has the quality of um, uh, <laughs> this is an inappropriate cultural reference but do you know that old footage of um, Second World War dictators addressing <laughs> half the population yeah. so they have that quality <laughs> whatever that is um, it's, it's a different adrenaline mm. definitely um, but I, for us here in Cork it's fantastic we've got to see so many acts that before we would have had to, you know, get in the car, drove to Dublin, gone on the oh, train, yeah. uh, you know, pay overpriced rates for a hotel in Dublin. Where yeah. suddenly it's on our doorstep. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it's only it's so impermanent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, like it's it's going to be there for a couple of months and it's gone. And it's gone, yeah. And then you know because it's not a permanent structure, you're always going to be wondering, Jesus, is it going to be there next year? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So take advantage of it while it's there because it is a great gift and I've been saying to a few people already today is that there isn't another city in the country that has it. Mm. No one else has this uh, 
kind of pop up 4,000 seater where some of the top acts in the world come and perform in. Like yeah. no one else has that. So it's um, it's a gift. Well done, taken. Long, long yeah. may they continue. Now, I absolutely uh, have adored your uh, TV program. Thank you. Uh, and the question that everybody wants to know, and you're probably sick of being asked, are you going to take over the Late Late Show? Well, the only people who haven't asked me that are RTE. <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about you yesterday on Liveline and everybody was saying Tommy Tiernan. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, do you think they'd trust me with it? No. no do you think I'm... Uh, see, I, people people underestimate my... Um, people wouldn't have predicted the chat show if they'd only seen me do stand-up. Do you know what I mean? People, people would have gone, oh, but he's not like that. He's, he's not really a listener. He's more of a shouter. He's not really... He's not really serious. He's always messing all the time. But lo and behold... You know, uh, the chat show came out to me. Um, and there are, uh, we're all like that. So whoever gets late late might be someone who you just, Shane McGowan might get it. You know, you, do, you never know who has that in them. But would you consider it? For if the money was, okay. if it was, if, if I had no choice with the money, I'd, I'd have to say yes. Yeah. I, I really am, Jermaine Patricia, I'm very expensive. <laughs> well, I think you'd be worth every single penny of it because your your show has been an amazing uh, success. Thank you. And what I I love is those moments of silence. Mm. Is they're incredible. But mm. the one thing you remember when you did it during COVID times without an audience. Yes. Was that better or worse? What was your What's your feeling on it? I preferred it without the audience. Yeah, a lot of people are saying the same thing. We decided to try it with an audience. Um, this year, because we haven't done it for with for two years. And wh- why do you think it was it's better without an audience? I I think I think both you and the person you were interviewing. Yeah. It, you literally it was just a conversation. You weren't ah, yeah, aware yeah. of anybody else around you. So you we we watching were just eavesdropping on a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And those pauses that you did were just they were oh they were magical. You might be right. You might anyway, be right. To go back to RT and tell them to dump dump the audience. No, that's it, that 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 be my decision. Oh, would it? Yeah. Okay. okay. I so you've, I'm, I'm, uh, you're influencing me. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> and then the other thing I loved was your 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 part in Derry Girls. I was a huge fan. Wasn't, yeah. wasn't Derry Girls a phenomenal success? The, the wild thing about that was we always had thought it would do well in Northern Ireland. And we thought that it would do well in Southern Ireland. We had no idea that people in Ipswich, in Bolton, or Southampton would like it. We had no idea that people in San Diego or Philadelphia would like it. Um, so that's been a real revelation that something that's so so local, you know, um, that drills down so specifically into a certain part of the world is appreciated in completely different places. I mean, that, that really is, to, to think that, you know, you, you could be making jokes about Catholics. And, like, there was a scene in, I think, series two, very funny, where they're doing the, the list of differences between Catholics and Protestants. Yeah. <laughs> was it Catholics like ABBA or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that? <laughs> that people who have never been to Ireland, who have no Irish connections, who are sitting in an apartment in Los Angeles uh, or Alabama, are laughing at that. Mm. Mm. But Lisa, I mean, isn't Lisa that the miracle Marie, of it? 
Lisa McGee's writing was was incredible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sharp, sharp as knives. But the Northerners are kind of they have a dark side to their humour anyway. Yeah. We're all, we're, we're compared to them now, we're a bunch of softies. They'd, I, if there is, ever is a United Ireland, and I think there should be just for the adventure of it, um, they'll tear us to shreds. <laughs> they will tear us. We're, we're not up to the halfpenny place in them now, I tell you. They have, um, the northern sense of humour is so dark. Uh, it's knife-like. Um, but, but um, at least as, as soon as I read, I read, I read two scripts, um, episode one, and episode two. I remember six or seven years ago, and I just said, "Okay, yeah, I'm up for this," you know. And that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it's excellent. It is excellent. Okay, so try. And have, I know you're in a bit of a break from the podcast as well. Is that meant to be a three months off of the summer bit that you're going to work throughout? Well, you see, Hector's gone to Papua New Guinea, so it's kind of hard to do it. He's yeah. gone off doing his trips and uh, around the world shows. And um, the last I heard of Larita, she was, you heard the story where she was refusing to get on Air Force One. Yes, I did. I mean, what a rascal. What a rascal. Why not? <laughs> As the fella said to me, I'm sure they could have found a hairdresser for the Air Force One. Do you know? Um, but anyway, so uh, we'll be back. We're kind of taking a, a, a long summer holidays. Okay. Uh, but we'll be back in September. But all things say, being well. you, you're, going, you're not taking a break. You're going to work throughout the summer. Listen, we oh, yeah. are really excited about you coming to see us in Cork. I know the 8th is sold out, so there's only tickets available for the 15th. That's it, yeah. So, and, um, you, and you need the money, so we need people to buy the tickets. I need the money. Do you know what, Patricia? I tell you what, um, the public, the general public, can rest assured that whatever money they give me is spent as fast as it comes in. So I know they'd be they'd be kind of disappointed to hear I was a hoarder, uh, or that I was had a massive bank balance. It flies in and it flies out. Okay. So as, as long as I keep doing that, I'll need to keep earning. So thank okay. you. Well, <laughs> Ticketmaster.ie for the tickets, Tommy Tiernan. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for that. And, God bless, Patricia. Uh, thank you. For talking to us. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was the wonderful Tommy Tiernan, who I really enjoyed chatting to. Yes, I could have stayed chatting to him for the afternoon. Uh, he was just a, a pleasure to uh, interview. Uh, somebody by text agreeing with the point that I made to uh, Tommy that his TV program was way better without. A audience like they did during COVID times. This listener says much more intimate and they both seemed to be much more comfortable. Yeah, I think they were both much more relaxed and weren't aware of an audience looking at them and it was interesting to hear Tommy when I mentioned it to him that I wasn't the first to say it to him. A number of people have said it to him and I also was surprised to hear him say that it's his decision whether they have an audience uh, or not. So maybe he'll take on board our thoughts and ditch the audience because I just think it's, I don't know, it's just something a better flow uh, to the programme. And then Margaret by text said, I absolutely hated Tommy Tiernan as a stand-up comedian, but yet I love the Tommy Tiernan show. I don't think he's suitable though for the Late Late Show. And I would uh, I would say the very same thing, Margaret. I was not a fan of the stand-up because a number of years ago there was particular jokes that he made. There was one that was made about uh, Chernobyl children and obviously with my special little girl I took grave offence to it and there was also a joke that he made about um, da- about people with Down syndrome that I found very offensive as well and I remember at the time thinking I would never go to see a show, I would never interview the man and then my whole attitude towards him changed because of the Tommy Tiernan show and I think as he's gotten older 
as well. I think he's mellowed slightly. Now he'll still, if you're going to a long time of his shows, you can be guaranteed that you probably will be shocked at some of the things that he jokes uh, about. But yeah, I think he is mellowed uh, in with uh, old age. And hi, Patricia, say hello to Tommy for me. The night that Roy Keane was on was brilliant. I'm a big, big fan. That's from Sheila in uh, Arhula. And I think the Roy Keane one was probably the best interview. The toughest one, I imagine, Tommy ever did. But I certainly think it was uh, the best one that he did. 0818 103 103. Can I give a shout out and say congratulations to the Cork Minor Ladies Football Team they won the Munster Minor football final last night. Well done to them from all of their support. Some of your thoughts in on my chat with Tommy Tiernan in the last hour. Jim says, hi Patricia, I thought you might have asked him about his offensive jokes. It wasn't long ago he had to apologise to Emer O'Neill who challenged him about making a joke. And I'm not going to repeat the joke, but the joke was in relation to African taxi drivers. Even his own daughter had told him in advance of the gig not to use the joke. And he was probably sorry he didn't listen to his daughter after the backlash, but he did apologise. I wonder if he's learned his lesson. Well, I, I did think about that particular joke that you're talking about. Um, and the reason that I didn't ask him about it was for exactly what you said when it was pointed out to him how offensive that joke was and how upset uh, Emer O'Neill was. She actually got up and left uh, the gig. He did apologise and he, he went to great lengths. I mean, he spent, I think, about an hour on the phone with Emer O'Neill listening to her about why that joke was particularly uh, offensive because she's of African uh, heritage and why it would be offensive to other people of African um, heritage. And he did listen and, and he did apologise and he did drop the joke from subsequent uh, gigs. So I, I never feel the point of going back over something. I think if he hadn't apologised, if he'd let that joke go, hadn't listened to what Eamon O'Neill and other people had said, then obviously and 100% I would have challenged him on it. But the very fact that he put his hand up and he said he made a mistake and he apologised, I think you draw. You, we need to draw a line under the sand. I think sometimes presenters can go on and on and drag up something that somebody has already recognised that they made a mistake on. I, I personally never see the point of it. I know other presenters would disagree and would think, no, it's the wrong way to go, but that's a that's a kind of a personal choice. Anyway, back to Jim's uh, text to say uh, Tommy Tiernan has a great TV programme and Tommy and Jim said I probably would go to see him in the marquee and as Tommy outlined uh, it's the only one of its kind in Ireland and it mightn't be around every year and every year we have Jim that discussion around the marquee and will it be back next year and then sort of at the, in the first couple of months of the year we start to get the line up for live the marquee and we sort of heave a sigh of relief oh it's back with us again because I think it's, it is fantastic that you know we have Aiken bringing the marquee uh, to Cork and as I said during the interview we get to see artists that in the past we would always have had to travel to Dublin to see and it's fantastic to have it here, here on our doorstep and I've been to many many gigs. I, d- I don't think I've missed a Live at the Marquee any year where I haven't gone along to at least uh, one gig and I think the atmosphere inside in that big top tent is just incredible. It really is and if it's a bright summer's evening which it, ha- it, it can be I've also been there in the rain but when it's a bright summer's evening it's lovely fantastic atmosphere around the marquee as well which is great thank you for your text Uh, and then a couple of people are on about the fact that this if you are going along to either of Tommy's two gigs live at the marquee please be aware that they are mobile free 
gigs, which means you're going to have to. It's, it, they're not saying you can't bring your mobile phone with you, but you won't be able to use your mobile phone uh, during uh, the gig. Elizabeth said, what a fantastic idea. I hope more people will fo- follow Tommy's lead. And I would agree that I've nothing worse than being at a gig and people have got all oh, the phones are out. And, and you kind of look at people and think, enjoy what's on the stage rather than trying to film what's on the stage. Because I often wonder, and I've been guilty of this in the past, of if a particular song comes on that I like of recording the person. How many times do you actually look back on those videos? Most of us never look at those videos again. So why do we do it? Why do we take from what is an exciting moment to be at a live gig? Why do we stop down to try and record it at the same time? And Mark in Blackpool is scratching his head saying, how is it actually going to work? How will they operate a mobile phone free gig at the marquee? Well, what happens is you're going to have to, if you bring your phone with you, you're going to have to put your phone in something that I would call a Faraday bag. And a Faraday uh, bag it's made of special material and what happens is your phone goes into that bag and then it locks and it prevents signals from being sent or received to the phone. You can also use uh, Faraday bags. Some people use Faraday bags to put their phone, to put their you know the keys that we use for our cars the zappers that we use for our cars and at one stage they were being there was criminals doing the rounds trying to intercept as you were locking your car and they were they were intercepting the signal if you have it in a Faraday bag or a Faraday box they can't intercept the sig- signal so it works it works on that I think it's uh, yon, Yonder I think is the name of the company that's going to be operating out of the marquee so what will happen is if you bring your mobile phone with you you'll have to put it into this little wallet type thing it locks as soon as you close it it locks and then at the end you go and it's it's magnetised and the security people will be demagnetising all of the different Faraday bags and then you'll be able to get your phone out and you'll be able to get back on your phone and life will return to normal again 0818 103 103 still getting calls and texts in about the late late John and Cove uh, John feels the show is mainly watched by the older generation as many young people maybe out and about on a Friday night or they'll be watching other things things or they'll be on their smartphones watching uh, watching things uh, so keep so the show needs to be aimed at the older audience so maybe get somebody older to present it John says when Gay Byrne presented the show he had lots of healthy debates he clearly remembers Ian Paisley I do remember that coming down from the north and being interviewed by uh, Gay Byrne and they used to debate so many different social issues that doesn't seem to happen in the same way same way yeah yeah you're right yeah it's it's the actual material of what they're discussing has uh, changed and this is from Anne-Marie says hi Patricia I absolutely Absolutely love the Late Late Show on a Friday night. But much as I genuinely admire Claire Byrne and she is absolutely brilliant at current affairs, I don't think she would be right for the chat show. Sinead Kennedy, I think, would be a super choice. Sinead Kennedy has great energy, warmly engages with everyone. I could see her running the toy show and chatting on the sofa to a wide range of guests while giving the impression that she handles it all so lightly. It's important to have those abilities. Thank you you. That's from Anne-Marie and that's a really great point. Yeah, I think yeah, there is another uh, Sinead Kennedy. I mean, the feeling is that RTE are going to go down the route of a female presenter because it would be the first time, except I think Miriam uh, did it twice. Miriam has already ruled herself out, so we'll have to uh, wait and see. 0818103103. Now, this is on a, a charge for your compost bin. 
And this was, I, I meant to get to this yesterday and I didn't get to it, but Patton from Moy is on about it. It's Panda uh, have announced that they are going to charge for the compost bins. And Pat is saying that if Panda start, and they are starting, I think, in uh, May, wait and see, says Pat, the others will follow suit. It was all about the environment initially when we were offered the composting bins and he feels it is a bad move. Well, you're not the only one to see it as a bad move. I saw Jennifer Whitmore, the Social Democrats, She's actually the spokesperson on climate and biodiversity. She, when she heard what Panda are planning, she actually said that she thinks it's time for the government to reconsider re-nationalising our waste collection service bring it back and give it back to the local authorities. And she made that statement yesterday following Panda announcing that they are going to introduce a charge for the brown bin collection. They're going to introduce a fee of €3.80 per bin. They have about 72,000 customers at the moment and they're bringing it in from the 8th of May. Now, I did hear an interview yesterday from the Irish Waste Management Association. They're defending the move. They're they're certainly not against it. But Jennifer Whitmore of the Social Democrats uh, was speaking on radio and she says it it's just the timing is all uh, wrong. She said it's not that these companies aren't profitable at the end of the day. She says what we should be aiming to do is actually make sure that people are not penalised for doing the right thing. She said I think at the moment when people are faced with such incredible cost of living right across every sector that to now increase something that at one point in time was given to people for free when it was a public service she actually thinks it's going to be counterproductive. Waste management companies have a responsibility to encourage people, she said, to do the right thing with their rubbish. And of course, we're told to do that by separating it properly. She says it's better for the environment if householders put waste food into a composting bin. She went on to talk about, you know, our waste target reductions of 50 percent by 2030. She says it is better for the environment that we actually put our waste food into the composting bins. So she thinks companies need to look at their profits in the round and not specifically look at what it costs for them to lift and collect a brown bin versus what it's costing to lift and collect the rubbish bin. And she said that the polluter pay concept should be applied to the general waste bins rather than your recycling bins. And and I'm sure others will agree with her, particularly on her point that it's the timing of it. I mean, is this really the time to introduce fresh costs to consumers? I mean, people are already struggling without now having to pay extra to have their composting bin uh, collected. And, you know, um, I'd have to agree with Pat and Fomoy as well. What often happens with these charges, it's kind of the same with the utility companies. When one starts to put up a price, the others follow suit. So it's Panda is the first company now to come out and say they're going to start charging for the composting bin. I think Pat is right. His gut instinct is right. Other companies will follow suit. Only time will tell. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. John Paul's taking your calls. We are particularly looking for your pet questions, please, for uh, Jane Pickett. You can get those in as well by text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Just one item on the Community Diary for today, Thursday, and that's Kildallery Community Development. They've got their weekly lotto draw, the community 
City office with a jackpot today of 8,200. Tickets are available from the community office and other local outlets. Tomorrow Friday, social dancing in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tomorrow night. Music is by Michelle Murphy. Dancing is from 9 until 12 midnight with admission 10 euro, which does include teas. There's bingo on in Mallow GAA at 8.15 tomorrow night, jackpot 4,000 euro. And Kildallery bingo is also on tomorrow at 8. Their jackpot is 1,000 550 this a week and the McCroom Senior Citizens and Active Retirement Group have organised a Reconnect and Meet Again gala concert it's in St Coleman's Church in McCroom tomorrow night it features the City of Cork Male Voice Choir Sean O'Shea and Ballinagree Folk Group among others tickets are 10 euro and available from McSweeney Shop in McCroom and Ballandangan players have extended their run of Calendar Girls for one extra night and that one extra night is tomorrow night, Friday. Port today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And some of your texts coming in. Martin in Formoy is wondering, will the government do something about this extra charge on the compost bins that was announced by Panda Recycling? Martin says, I think not. Why would they? Well, they can't really because Panda are a private company. That's, and as are all of the waste disposal companies and that's one of the reasons why you had the opposition TD Jennifer Whitmore of the Social Democrats saying because of this announcement of an increase uh, €3.80 per bin from May 8th if you are with a panda she believes that the system should go back to the way it was where the local council collected your bins every week and they did it for well for free, well, for free to the household. I mean, your general taxation uh, paid for it. But she reckons that the state should go back to taking over the collection of the bins, which would rule out, which would uh, take away all of the cost completely from uh, households, Martin. So no, will they intervene in a private company? No, they'll say that they can't. Thanks for your text. Marty Morrissey and Catherine Thomas. There's a double act for you. That's a suggestion from a listener is a double act for the late, late. And then on comedians and how far can comedians go uh, today? Anthony says comedians nowadays are all on the borderline with jokes as times have really changed now. And many things we would have laughed at and comedians would have been allowed to say before. They're not allowed to say anymore. Comedy is a very hard gig because you never know who you're going to offend at any stage, says Anthony. And Michael in Black Rock says we need to get real. People take things far too seriously today and any mention of a joke, people will get offended and they're up in arms. We need to move away from the trivial stuff and focus on the big issues like the homelessness uh, and much, much more. That's from Michael 0818 103 103. And there was a WhatsApp in earlier uh, that I want to give I want to give a mention to to see if anyone can let us know has this happened to anybody else Hi Patricia hope you're keeping well I am thank you very much I'm just texting in to see have you heard of anyone on the back to education allowance having to sign on I got a letter from my local intro office last week saying I have to sign on next week between 10am and 12.30 usually usually people on the back to education allowance don't have to sign on. Now luckily I'm on a study week next week for upcoming exams so I can make it during that sign on period. It would have been a disaster though if I'd been in classes or was in the middle of exams as I commute two hours each way 
to do the Back to Education course. By the way, I have contacted the office about it just to see was it a mistake. And they said the letter is correct and that I have to come in next week on that appointed date between 10 and 12.30 to sign on. Does anybody know, has that happened to anybody else? Uh, During news at 12 midday, I did a quick search on the Citizens Information Centre website. They have a huge, huge piece on the Back to Education uh, allowance. And they say that um, you obviously provide a cert from the college or course that, that you're that you're attending, which obviously this listener has done. Uh, you must supply this information before payment can begin. And obviously that's happened because this listener is getting the payment. During the course of the academic year, you may be asked to provide confirmation that you're still taking part in the course. And I'm wondering, is that what it's about? Because it says if you change from a job seeker's payment to a back to education allowance, you do not need to sign on while you're getting the uh, allowance. So uh, what I would suggest to that listener who contacted us, maybe ring your local citizens information centre or go online and and take a look because it might make a lot more sense to you when you're reading down to who qualifies, who doesn't uh, qualify. But I'm thinking that it might be contained in that line that you may be asked to provide confirmation and maybe that's why they're calling you in. That's the only reason that I can think of. But listen, I've given it out there to see has it happened to anybody else whereby you're doing, you're actually on a back to education course, you're getting a back to education allowance. Have you ever been called in and told that you need to sign on on a particular day? Uh, If anyone can give us um, clarity on that, please do. 0818 103 103. And our lines are also open looking for your pet questions, please, for Jane Pickett. You can text her WhatsApp a question for Jane. She'll be on with us in the next few minutes. 086 103 103. But can I just stay on the topic of pets? Because I came across a story this morning that I was totally shocked by. Do you know when you read a story and you reread the opening paragraph again to say, did I misread that? And it's to do with a story. It's to do with a competition. Sorry, not a story. It's a story about a competition in New Zealand in which children were offered a bounty for shooting feral, wild cats. Now, it's been cancelled, thankfully, because of the outcry with critics saying that it was cruel. They also said it was completely inappropriate to ask children to get involved in this. Children under the age of 14 were encouraged to kill as many feral cats as possible and they had the chance to win a cash prize of 250 New Zealand dollars, which is about 140 euro, which to a child under 14, that sounds like a lot of money. It was the first time a cat category for feral cats had been included in this hunting competition. But the contest, which was due to be held in the Canterbury region of New Zealand, has now had to be cancelled with that aspect of it after the organisers were inundated with messages from critics. The organisers of the North Canterbury hunting competition, which was to take place over the next two months, said they're incredibly disappointed by the backlash. They say, we are disappointed and apologise to those who are excited to be involved in something that's about protecting our native birds and other vulnerable species. Critics critics argued, though, that it would be very hard for children to distinguish between what is a feral cat and what is somebody's pet cat. I mean, that was the first thing I thought of. Also, I don't think I would want anybody going out shooting wild 
cats and that's not to take away from that we have a problem with feral cats uh, in this country. They also said that young children, remember these are under 14, armed with air rifles would not be able to kill the cats quickly and would not be able to kill the cats humanely. The Royal New Zealand Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals did say though that they they also said they were extremely concerned about the contest. Now, then you need to dig into feral cats and what's going on with feral cats in New Zealand. It seems that feral cats are a huge problem in New Zealand and they do prey on native birds and they do prey on uh, mammals. The population was first established in the 18th century and that was after cats travelled out on British ships were brought ashore. They've now colonised Almost the entire country has a problem with feral cats. Cats in the alpine ranges of the South Island can also grow particularly large. There's obviously a lot of animals there for them to feed on. Feral cats have a major impact, it seems, on New Zealand's native and non-native species. And that's according to the New Zealand Department of Conservation. They say the basis of their diet alters with the habitat that they live in. They can feed on things like rabbits and birds and bird eggs. They feed on rats, hares, bats, lizards, mice. Something called a weta. What's a weta? A weta is a giant flightless crickets and they also eat other uh, insects. And one New Zealand expert on biosecurity said that we know that feral cats are responsible for the extinction of at least six bird species and are leading agents of a declining population of birds, bats, frogs and lizards. So they obviously do have a problem with feral cats. So something needs to be done about it. But asking children under the age of 14 to go out with air guns and start killing them is surely not the answer to it. I mean, I don't know, have they looked at anything like the trap, neuter and release, which runs very successfully in West Cork. I don't know how many other parts of the country, but if they looked at doing something like that, going in there, trap, neuter and uh, release and somehow control the feral cat population. But setting up a competition and putting a bounty on the head of every dead uh, feral cat just seemed like a truly, truly bizarre story to me. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we are going to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry of Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins me on this sunny Thursday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. Okay, a bit chilly, but the sun is shining and that's all we want. Okay, let's get straight into questions for Jane. You can still keep your questions coming in 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp to 086 103 103. Now, um, hi, Jane. I have a Yorkie dog whose skin is turning black and is losing hair. What could be causing it? Is it some kind of an infection? He is nine years old. He is scratching a lot. Okay, if he's scratching a lot, then I think it is most likely directly to do with the disease. In middle-aged to older pets, sometimes we can actually get skin changes if there's hormonal abnormalities, like an overactive or underactive thyroid um, or problems with the stress hormone. But as your pet is really itching, I think those things are less likely. It's more likely directly to do with the skin. So 
when the skin goes black, that's hyperpigmentation. Now, that can happen for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's natural in some dogs with their colouring. Um, sometimes it can be due to hormonal changes. But really commonly, it's due to longer term scratching of the skin. So kind of self-trauma, the skin changes its makeup a little bit and it becomes pigmented almost as a little protective mechanism. So I think the pigmentation in this case is most likely be kind of a, a, a secondary symptom of the itching if he's losing hair as well that'd be alopecia if he's itching it's probably all connected it could be something like a skin infection whether that be bacteria or an overgrowth of yeast now both of those things are really really treatable um so you know it's just a case of finding out what's going on i suppose commonly as well we can get parasites now we commonly think of those parasites of let's say fleas mites lice happening in younger pets but that's really not the case they can happen in any age of pet so the first thing i would do is think about when you last gave your your ectoparasite control so that's the the preventative tablet or spot on that you would give for fleas mites and lice now if that's not been done recently then that's okay too it's just best to know when you've used it last and what you've used before you go to the vet so if you have that information that's really helpful if they haven't been done recently probably the first thing your vet will do will be get you up to date with that with a really good quality product and those good quality products are usually available from your vet or your pharmacist so they're the safe really effective ones it is quite likely that your vet will probably take some samples from the skin this is usually totally painless sometimes we do it with a little bit of tape sometimes we take little impressions and we sometimes look at them under the microscope and that will give us an indication if there's parasites there or if there's a lot of bacteria running around if there's little bacteria parties happening or if there's an overgrowth of yeast there is a number of options of what could be going on but the really important thing is to get to your vet let them know what's been happening they'll do some initial testing find out what's going on and then they'll be able to select the correct treatment for your pet so well done with noticing best of luck I'm sure it's something that could be it's, sorted I'm right in thinking it's one of the hardest things to get to the bottom of it is it skin conditions and itching in, in, in a dog or a cat Absolutely. They can be really challenging at times because generally they're kind of like an onion. There's lots of layers going on. So the top layer of that might be um, a skin infection with bacteria or yeast. But underneath it, there might be kind of predisposing factors, whether that's the pet's breed or let's say their environment or environmental allergens. So like you or I, some of us can get hay fever. Some of us can have skin allergies. Some of us don't like wearing clothes that have been washed in certain types of detergent. And we don't think of these things in our pets very often but they do seem to be a thing so sometimes an underlying skin allergy can cause the skin barrier to just not be as robust as it was once upon a time so that can make them more prone to getting things on top so it can be quite a multifaceted um, disease process but it is really important just to trust your vet work through things logically and if something's not quite worked for your pet or if it's worked and then come back that's really important to let your vet know because skin is is never really straightforward it's a bit of a roller coaster and sometimes it's just a case of managing things ongoing but it can be done Okay here's Susie who's trying to put preventative treatment in place which is always great news she's got a Labrador pup five months old great fun at the moment now this little puppy has replaced a much loved older Labrador who sadly passed away last year aged 14 now the older lab suffered very badly with his teeth in his latter years and they want to know what can be put in place to prevent the same happening with this pup Okay, well, first and foremost, I'm so sorry to hear that your pet has passed, but also very happy to hear that you have a new exciting arrival in the household. I think it's really great. This makes my heart sing when I hear of owners of young pets wanting to put things in place to prevent disease. So really well done. 
I think the biggest thing you could do for your pet for their dental health long term at this point are kind of two things. One would be diet related. So normally we would favor kind of a, a crunchy kibble diet over a soft food diet. These dogs tend to have less tartar buildup over time. They'll always have some. I think an important thing to think about is you and I, we probably brush our teeth twice a day. So we're getting rid of all of those remnants of the food and all of that bacteria that would eventually, if we left it in place, form tartar. So that dirty teeth look that we can see sometimes in our pets. So, you know, we're never going to be able to tell them to brush their teeth twice a day. So we're going to have to try and help them out a little bit. So to brushing your pet's teeth is probably the single most effective thing you can do to preserve their dental health and also the cheapest. So I would normally recommend trying to do it daily if you can, but look, life happens. It's not always possible as often as you remember at least twice a week if you can. The important things are start slow, make it a really kind of happy and I suppose playful um, time for your pet when you're teaching them to brush their teeth. You can get special dog and cat toothbrushes. They're great, but I also find that normal toothbrushes are pretty good too. The big thing that has to be a special thing, though, is the toothpaste. Please, please, please don't try and brush your dog's teeth with human toothpaste. Um, it's generally menthol flavoured. It sometimes has sweeteners in it, which are dangerous for our pets as well. And they just really won't like the taste. You won't have much luck getting them on board with the idea and they'll probably resent it. We can get chicken, liver, beef flavoured toothpaste from your vet. Whoa. And that's probably the way to go. Yeah, makes it much, much happier, much tastier. They tend to really like it. So and you won't get it mixed. You won't get it mixed up and used it yourself. Oh, one would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all right. Be, so that would be my tip. They're going down the right route. Uh, well done. Now, Absolutely. a listener wants to know how can you train dogs to use one area of the garden? My dogs have the lawn and the driveway uh, destroyed. They're pooing everywhere. I've tried using bleach and vinegar to deter them, but that's not working. Would Jane have any recommendations? Mm. Yeah, this this is a tough one. Like, I suppose if we could get them to do their business in one area of the garden, it makes it, I suppose, cleaner for the rest of the garden, um, but also easier for us to clean up, which is really helpful. I think the important thing to remember here is your dog doesn't really know that you only want them to use one part of the garden. For them, it's all just grass and smells of the outside, so they don't really differentiate it. So sometimes if like, you're saying, really good boy for doing it there, but bad boy for doing it here, they, they don't really understand the distinction. So it's important to try and make it easy for them if you can make one area of the garden where you want them to do their business have a slightly different texture whether that be a different type of grass or a different type of gravel or even kind of try and delineate it with lots of flower pots so they have a little square area to do their business in and always take them in there to do their business and give them a big treat and a big pat after they do it there if you're making kind of visually and texturally a little bit different for them, then that will help them to think, well, I do my business there and everything else is different garden. So that can help. If your pet does make the mistake, though, whilst they're learning and does do their business in the other parts of the garden, don't bother scolding them. They, it, it just won't really connect for them. Um, and all they'll all that will do will be making them fearful of doing their business in front of you. Um, so just reward them when they do really well. If they slip up and make a mistake, it's best just to 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 to, to ignore it um, and just use positive reinforcement. But that that would be what I'd suggest. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, is, is what yeah, I would say, yeah. but it is possible. Good luck with it. Marion wants to know, how often should she be bathing a her dog? It's a white West Highland Terrier. Is once a month recommended? Once a month is grand. To be honest, it really depends on your pet's lifestyle. If they are the kind of dog who will go out and get absolutely as muddy as sin 
and they need to be washed to come into the house well you're just going to have to do it as often as you have to <laughs> um so because nobody wants a, a big wet mucky dog on the sofa but what i will say is be a little bit careful not to overwash them i normally say four to six weeks six weeks is kind of the sweet spot to be honest with you um because we don't want to be stripping too many of the natural oils out of their coat because that sometimes can give them dry and flaky skin um, so I wouldn't hopefully need to wash them more than once a month, ideally. But look, if they're really mucky, uh, mucky pups, then you may need to. And, and yeah, that's OK. And, and Just keep an eye on their skin. I think the fact that Marion has described it as a white West Highland, shall yeah. we see? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the, I think the key is 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 in our question. Uh, Jane, my cat has a cyst on his cheekbone. He seems fine and well. Any recommendations? He's semi wild, so I would find it impossible to get him to a vet. OK. Normally, um, for a pet that was comfortable being caught or put on a lead and taken to the vet, I would recommend that, you know, any lump or bump that's there. The classic thing I say is a lump and a bump is a lump and a bump and proven otherwise. We don't know what it is a lot of the time. Um, and sometimes we'll need to do testing, whether that be a little aspirate or a biopsy to send to the lab so that they can look at the cells and the architecture of what we have. And that will tell us if it's a benign lump, so something we don't need to worry about or even assist, um, or if it's something a little bit more worrisome, if it's a little tumour or a little lump and bump that we need to, to be concerned about and take off. I would normally say that if a lump or a bump has been in place for more than a month, and it's, it's I suppose, it's about the size of a pea or larger, then it really needs veterinary attention to assess it before it changes further and gets bigger. Um, that would be the recommendation. But I suppose in lieu of in lieu of anything else, I suppose you could take a little photo of it and try and track it at home yourself. So I think really to get to the bottom of it, you'll need a vet to assess it. But I suppose keep a little eye on you've noticed it now. Is it still there in a month? Take a photo now, take a photo in the month. Has it changed in size, shape, texture? Uh, if it has and it's still present, it definitely needs to see the vet. So have a chat to your vet about if there's anything they can do to help smooth the transition to them coming yeah, in. Yeah, and, and, and usually most vets' parkets, you'd be able to get, most vets' parkets would be able to give a cage that you could catch so, Sometimes, um, some, some clinics would have kind of... Uh, cat traps or you know cages that you'd be able to bring them in and a lot a lot don't unfortunately ah, okay. um, so it's just it's worth asking locally yeah. to, to see what the situation is okay listen mind of information as always have a lovely week and we'll chat next Thursday you too thank you very thanks much thanks for that that is Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket they're part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group okay that's where we wrap it up for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is enjoying a week off this week. Mark Malone is filling in. So Mark will be with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you for Friday's edition of the programme tomorrow morning at 10. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 